0: Yeshiva.net Good Yamtiv, good Chaydish This is a Resh Chaydish uh, Kislev Al-Bringen. and uh, the Rebbe on occasion referred to the fact that Resh Chaydish Kislev is not just a, a, a good Chaydish but also a Yamtiv. although Resh Chaydish Kislev is a Yomtev of Chasidim. Chasidim uh, are <laughs> like Jews Holidays a dime a dozen. You know, Homan complaint after Shavuot, Jews have too many holidays. So the Rebbe said, "Okay, let's give them another." Hasidim have many, many yomtifs. You know, we have a dozen didan notsachs. Many, many Hasidic yomtifs. But from the Rabbeim, we have a very select few. The Alter Rebbe's yomtif is Yud and Chav Kislev. The Middle Rebbe's yomtif is Tes and Yud Kislev. The previous Rebbe's yomtif is Beis and Yigimul And of course, our Rebbe's yomtif is Chamisha Betavis, Hey Tevis. These are holidays which the Rabbis announced, and as the previous Seba once said, his words are real, and should be said with a dogish. when our Rabeye make a yomtif, it, it has an inner dimension, a timeless dimension, and is, as the Alta Rabe predicted, forever. But Chassidim are, because of what happened today, or yesterday, or last week, or last month, or last year, or last decade, or during our lifetimes. Rosh shaydish Kislev is a yomtif that Chassidim adopted to celebrate the health of ...of the Rebbe... ...after his illness... ...and the Rebbe... ...recognized it... ...in fact this became the date... ...around which the Shluchim convention... ...is fixed... ...so the duality of the celebration... ...of the Rebbe's health... ...and the celebration of Shlichus... ...enhances the occasion... ...I remember one year... ...it must have been Memches... ...the Rebbe ...and finished... ...and left... ...and it was Shabbos... ...or Shabbos had already ended... And we just danced. Nobody left. The whole—I think they once showed it on a film. The whole shul of people got up on the benches and just sang and danced and celebrated the rebbe. We thanked God for the rebbe, and there was so much to thank the, rebbe, the God, for for having given us the rebbe. I want to begin with the end of the story. The end of the story is that Rabbi Yankel Hecht, a Shalom Zechinu Levrach, wrote the rebbe a letter asking the Rebbe, sometime during the winter of Tavshon Ches, 1977-8, to explain to him the episode, what happened. The Rebbe had several heart attacks, several heart attacks, massive heart attack, and he really was very, very ill, and that he recovered so remarkably, and so, to such a degree, completely, it, it was extraordinary. And quickly. So, Rabbi Hecht asked the Rebbe, to explain it to him. And the Rebbe sent him to a Zayar. Now, I'd love to know where that Zayar is. And if anybody in this audience uh, knows the source, the page number, please send it to us so we can put it up or at least we can have access to it. It tells a story about a Tana whose time came. You know, the to gives everybody a certain number of years. We all think that we have 70, 80, 90, 120, 180 years. But the Eivishta has his own measurements, his own determination. course it lives as long as they're supposed to. And this Tana came to the end of the road and he was beckoned from on high and he came up and he said, I need more time. I have more work to do. I need more time. And there was a judgment and it was determined that he should get more time and they gave him more time. Do you imagine that? that ever actually, in referring to himself and his illness, referred to this Zoyar which describes such an event. It need not be explained. It speaks for itself. But the Rebbe said, the Yebushche gave him years. The gave him years. He said, I need more time. Gave him more time. Now that's something to celebrate. To celebrate really forever. Because there's so much more Rebbe. And so much more revelation as a result of this event. Of this story. And the Hasidim celebrate the Rebbe. Now, what does that mean, Hasidim celebrate the Rebbe? Hasidim thank God that they have a Rebbe. We are fortunate enough to have a relationship with the Rebbe and we thank the Abishtah for it. You know, the story goes that there were two Hasidic communities. One was Neville and the other was Kremenchuk. Hasidim came back from Lubavitch to Kremenchuk, and their fellow Hasidim would say, tell me what the Maimer was about. What kind of Hasidist the Rebbe is teaching? The Hasidim used to return to Neville and Hasidim used to ask them, what's the Rebbe in gesund? How is the Rebbe's health? Some people love the Rebbe for what the Rebbe gave. Other people love the Rebbe because of the Rebbe's very presence. These two ideas are not contradictory. They're not mutually exclusive, but mutually interdependent. A chassid loves his rebbe, period. And of course, a chassid loves what the rebbe gives and celebrates it. And what it means that chassidim celebrate the rebbe's life and the rebbe's health is that they're celebrating the rebbe's message. In other words, we are saying that what matters to us is what matters to the rebbe. And what matters to the Rebbe is the Ebishter. What matters to the Rebbe is Torah Mitzvahs. What matters to the Rebbe is Mashiach. What matters to the Rebbe is the mandate, the message, the the, the 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 spirit and the direction that the Rebbe provides. So we celebrate Rosh Chayidosh Kislev, it's a holiday. It celebrates the Rebbe. But it also celebrates us. It celebrates our Hasidus. Being a Hasid isn't simply carrying a card or wearing a badge. It's being a certain kind of person. You know, the Rebbe would complain in the early years of his Nesias a lot when people would take his leftover cake, that in Chabad people didn't take shirayim. As the tradition was in other Hasidic cultures that you take the leftover food of the Rebbe in the belief that it's holy, Shire karbim. The Rebbe would say, as the Rebbe Rashab said once, minor than nishmazak is an you connected to the Rebbe. It obligates. It doesn't only give health and wealth and all the other wonderful things, time, life, but it, it means that we are Hasidim. And being Hasidim means that there's a certain responsibility, there's a certain obligation, there's a certain celebration of life. What life do we value, the, the, the life of the Rebbe's Torah, the life of the Rebbe's Hadrocha, the life of the direction that Rebbe provides, the life connected to the clarity of purpose and definition of reality that the Rebbe brings to us. And this, I think... Is always worth contemplating. You know, there's an old expression that says, "As long as there's Jews, is a proof there's a God." Hasidim yeah? says, "As long as there's a Rebbe, a Rebbe is a godly man, and he can't dye him a cup, as they say. He can't spin him. He sees it clearly, and he sees it exactly the way it is, and he shows us the way it is. And what the Rebbe wants, that we should learn. We should learn what's important." We should learn what clarity is. We should learn which direction we need to go in. Or to use a, a modern term, we should learn what our shlichus is, what the mandate of our time is, what's expected of us, and figure out how we can do it. You know, every lebabacher chosid is a tiny person. We all fill a little niche, and we have to figure out ways of being the best lebabacher we can be. And being the Bethlehem we can be means that if we celebrate the Rebbe, we celebrate Chesidus, Yiddishkeit, the Rebbe's vision, the Rebbe's version of it, the Rebbe's instructions in as much as that is concerned, as it applies to us in our times. And uh, I don't think it requires much more explaining. I think it speaks for itself. Having said that, uh, let's go back a little bit and revisit the story. First of all, a few weeks before the Rebbe's heart attack, Chayelel, I believe, Toshin Lamed Zayin, the Rebbe sang Tzomol HaNafshi and changed the words. I, I, I was a kid. I was 12 years old at the time, or almost 12. And I remember where I was standing when I heard the Rebbe change the words. Instead of singing, Liris Uscho Chveidecha, which means to see godliness, he said, Lidus Navshi which means, in effect, to meet his own soul. And in hindsight, it became eerie almost. The Rebbe, a few weeks before, had made this modification. Secondly, that year, Rosh Hashanah, for the first time, the Rebbe asked that somebody should, so to speak, help him with the t'chiyah. Someone should be the makri point in the Siddur when he did the t'chiyah. Thirdly, sometime during that tishrei, the Rebbe spoke the very same ideas he spoke immediately before and immediately after the passing away of the Rebbe, about the idea that Hasidim should seek out and not rely on the Rebbe because the Rebbe was busy and so forth. Um, the Rebbe edited the Maimed that he said before Sukkos, and added a note, which seems to be unnecessary and irrelevant, which speaks about the heart, Leif Chocham Li and uh, when the Rebbe had his heart attack, it became obvious why the Rebbe had made that modification. The Rebetzin, the Rebbe's wife, had called 770 and told the people in charge that the Rebbe is, not, is tired, there was a fear. well. they should try to hasten the Hakafis. Um, the Rebbe came to Hakafis, and during the 4th HaKafah, the Rebbe didn't feel well, the Rebbe asked for his chair, the Rebbe sat down, and it became obvious that the Rebbe was really bothered. It wasn't just that the Rebbe was tired. So most of the Hasidim left the shul, they broke the windows to provide the Rebbe with air. The Rebbe insisted on finishing the HaKafah, he actually went to the 7th HaKafah and danced, left the shul, went upstairs, refused to eat without sukkah, went out into the sukkah and made kiddush, and greeted with great energy, great enthusiasm, the Hasidim were waiting outside, went back to his room, and um, the Rebbe locked himself in his room and made it very clear that he's fine. He said that he's tired and he stood on his feet all day giving lekach. The Rebbe hadn't eaten anything and that people should go home and leave him alone. Um, people understood that the Rebbe was much more ill than that. The Rebotson came from President Street. She came to 770 and it must be mentioned that once she arrived, she was in charge and she really looked after the Rebbe, and did what needed to be done, That it should be done, not only properly, but in the most respectful way possible. And of course, the issue that came up in the first hours after the Rebbe's heart attack was the question of going to a hospital. And the Rebbe refused, refused to go to a hospital. It made it very clear he wasn't going to leave 770. The official reason he gave was, he didn't want to frighten the Bokhnev. But I'm sure there were many other deeper reasons. It's been told that a group of Rabbonim were convened, to force the Rebbe, to tell the Rebbe that going to halacha he has to go. Had they told the Rebbe that according to halacha he has to go, the Rebbe was a religious Jew, he would have gone. They came into the Rebbe and the Rebbe said, don't say your psak because I really don't want to go to the hospital. And that's the way it stayed. Many doctors came, examined the Rebbe, said he must go to a hospital. When the Rebbe refused, they left saying that this man is playing with his life. He's being unreasonable. And that's the way it was. As it turned out, the equipment that they brought to 770 was so state-of-the-art, so high-tech, that later on, doctors said, had they known that they could literally bring the hospital to 770, they would have preferred not to move the Rebbe, because the worst thing you can do to a patient under those conditions is move him. But at the time, the doctors felt that the right thing to do was to move the Rebbe. And there's some very powerful things that happened in, in, in conjunction with this. First of all, the Rebbe's wife, the Rebbe's There are different versions of the story that I've heard from various people. The differences between one version and the next are not that large, but all of them reveal the kind of respect that Eberton had for the Rebbe, the kind of relationship she had with the Rebbe. The story is, of course, that the Rebbe refused to sleep until they promised him they wouldn't take him to the hospital. When the Rebbe was promised that he would not be moved against his wish, the Rebbe slept. And if I understand that correctly, the Rebbe slept a grand total of four hours. Four hours in succession. And the Rebbe said in all her married life, she'd never seen the Rebbe sleep that much. And while he slept, pressure was brought to bear on the Rebbe that she should overrule him and go against the promise they'd made and that we'd take the Rebbe to the hospital while he slept against his wishes. But the Rebbezin refused. Categorically refused. And like I said, there are vision, different versions of the story. Rabbi Chaim Guttnik, related publicly that the Rebbe said, I've been married to this man for 50 years and I have never once upset him. I don't want to upset him now. So I told the Rebbe that his life is in danger and that if she will agree to move the Rebbe, he will initially be upset, but later he will be indebted. He'll be thankful. And the Ebotson said, I don't want to upset him even temporarily. That's the way it stayed. She wouldn't budge. And without her, they weren't going to move the Rebbe, obviously. I heard from somebody else who said that he heard the Ebotson say when the pressure was brought to her, that she should agree to have the Rebbe moved, she said, What my husband wants, this is what I want. What he wants is the way she wanted it. The Rebetzin was the Rebetzin. She was the wife of the Rebbe, and more than anybody else, she appreciated who she was married to. She knew how to negotiate with the Rebbe, as it were, but she also knew when it was time to stop the negotiations. When she understood that the Rebbe wanted something to be a certain way, that's the way it was going to be, whether we understood it or we didn't understand it, and that's what happened in that case. Another interesting story that happened that night was that Dr. Feldman, he's related this story many times, was in the Rebbe's room, and he also tried to, so to speak, impress upon the Rebbe the necessity for the Rebbe to go to the hospital. And the Rebbe said to him, pointing at his room, you see all of these books, you see these walls, this table, this chair. He said, these walls have absorbed the tears and the tzadahs of thousands of Jews. So many people have come here with a heavy heart, left their heaviness here, left a little bit lighter. And the Rebbe said, these walls, this will heal me. This will heal me. Another event that occurred that has a variety of different forms, which unfortunately, as you and I sit and have this fabrengen tonight, is incredibly acute, is the following. The Rebbe was being given an injection by a doctor. And the Rebbe said to the doctor, how is the suction created in a syringe. When you put a needle into a vial of a fluid, of medication, and you pull on the syringe, and the fluid naturally is absorbed, even upwards, into the syringe against gravity, what is pulling the fluid into the syringe? And the question that Adrebe presented it to the doctor was, is it a force? Is it a suction? Is there an actual force that's pulling the fluid in? Or is it simply the vacuum, the empty space? That because the syringe has no air, so there is obviously less pressure in the syringe than there is outside of the syringe. And simply because there is less pressure, it's easier for something to fill that space so the fluid naturally flows into it. So the question was, is there a suction that pulls the fluid into the syringe or is it simply the emptiness? And the doctors responded by saying that it's simply the fact that the space is empty. Nature abhors the vacuum, as the expression goes, and therefore it's filled. So the Rebbe said a lesson that this is very obvious, that the simple lack of the Rebbe's presence draws the Rebbe closer to the Hasidim and draws the Hasidim closer to the Rebbe. And this was a point that the Rebbe repeated when he spoke. By the way, the Rebbe had, I think, Rabbi Groner go downstairs and repeat this thought, this Dvar this idea, that the fact that there's a distance between Hasidim and the Rebbe only draws them closer together. The following night, the Rebbe actually spoke, I'll get to it later on, and in his talk... The Rebbe was quite emotional, and there's a tape of it, I've heard it and I've seen it. The Rebbe spoke to this point, that the simple fact that Chassidim and the Rebbe are more distant creates a great pull between Chassidim and Rebbe and Rebbe and Chassidim. And this is something for us to consider in the current condition, that there's supposed to be a want from a Chassid to a Rebbe, they supposed to make the Chassid more Chassid, and the connection of Chassid and the Rebbe to be even stronger. The Rebbe was very ill, that's the, that's the honest truth of the matter, very, very sick. And of course, the critical night was the night of Shmini Atzeres. Apparently, at some point during the night, the Rebbe had what amounted to another heart attack, a very, very severe heart attack, and the Rebbe's life was in a very, very precarious situation, and as the Rebbe wrote in his letter, with the help and the grace of God, he survived it. The following day, the Rebbe was very, very weak, and the Rebbe, of course, was in his room. The Rebbe got an aliyah sitting down, and I believe the Rebbe said the maftir quite emotionally. One of the things that happened that day was that Rabbi Kazanovsky went into the Rebbe to wish the Rebbe a good yomtif. Rabbi Kazanovsky was a very important chassid, a very special chassid, a very important chassid. and he cried. And the Rebbe said to him, When you cry, you affect me adversely. If you're worried about my health, you have to do what's best for my health, and what I want is that there should be simch. And the Rebbe insisted that Khassidim should be in a joyous state, and that they should actually do what they did every year, which means to go to the shuls and bring Simchat yomtiv to all of the community of Jews as they had done always in the past. And they did it. Chesidim went. I mean, they sang and they danced and they cried. But Chesidim went to the various communities that they were accustomed to going to on Simchat Edeh and brought the Simchat yomtiv to the people wherever they went. That night was a Sarcophis, again, I was a child, I was just 12, and I remember um, that they had set up tables to block off the whole back half of 770 inside and outside. It be really a little bit quieter. And we danced. It was very strange. Our was very strange. Simchas Tader without the Rebbe. And during the course of the night, we were singing all night long the same song. We were singing, the all which the Rebbe should be well. And then at a certain point during the night, it changed from the Rebbe's to the Rebbe is gesund. A message came down. One of the secretaries came down and told us that the Rebbe was feeling better. And we were singing, the Rebbe is gesund. The Rebbe is well. The doctors had told the Rebbe that if the noise is disturbing him, we can make arrangements to have the Hasidim, do their kafas and other shuls, and of course the Rebbe's response was that this is the most pleasant thing to him. The, the singing of the Hasidim is music to his ears, and he was very happy to hear the Simcha of the Hasidim. At the end of Simcha's Torah, the Rebbe Abdullah, and he sent down his wine from the to distribute to the Hasidim through an intermediate as Keshavrachah and during that occasion it was announced that the Rebbe was going to speak later that night the Rebbe was going to speak and of course the story is that the Rebbe asked the doctors if he can speak and the doctors said for how long so the Rebbe said to the doctors if I'd like to speak as long as I'd like or if I would say everything I need to say I can talk and talk and talk and never run out of material and the doctors told the Rebbe that he was entitled I think to 7 or 8 minutes so the Rebbe spoke I think for 20 and uh, it was like, uh, you can hear the tape of the Sikh, it was quite emotional. And in those few minutes, the Rebbe squeezed in a Maimed and a Sikha, and also made sure to mention all the practical herois that Hasidim was supposed to take away from Yom Tov. This was Matzah Yom Tov, Matzah Simchas The following day, the Rebbe asked for the mail. And of course, the doctors thought that it was a terrible idea that Rebbe should answer letters several days after several heart attacks including a massive heart attack didn't seem like a reasonable thing and they tried to encourage the Rebbe to convalesce for a few weeks and the Rebbe's diplomatic answer was that if he waits a few weeks the accumulation of mail will only put extra stress on him and it's healthier for him to answer the letters as soon as they come in I believe that there's, there's more to it and that I believe that spiritually it's very very important for a to give And just like we draw, by taking from a tzaddik, my Rebbe, the Rebbe lives by giving to Chassidim. And um, it was very important to the Rebbe to do this. And immediately after Yomta, the Rebbe started answering correspondence. For a long time after, the Rebbe did not make fabrengins. Instead, on Matzai Shabbos, after Shabbos, there would be a talk from the Rebbe's room, which we would listen to downstairs. And in the earlier part of that winter, the Rebbe actually edited each week's talk. And perhaps this was the Rebbe's way of letting people know that it was not only business as usual, but that there would be actually an increase in the Rebbe's activities over the years that it had been before. Um, one of the things that the Rebbe did get the Rebbe to do in terms of his health, was to skip his trips to the Ayel. I don't know for how long, but there were, the Rebbe, of course, went to the Ayel twice a month, Erev Rish and the 15th of the month. And the Rebbe, who understood the Rebbe wanted something, that's the way it has to be. The Rebbe didn't actually asked the Rebbe, and the Rebbe agreed not to visit the oil. And the Rebbe was a bit disappointed. The doctors asked the Rebbe how he was feeling, and the Rebbe said, I'm physically feeling fine, but I'm disappointed in the fact that I have to miss my trip to the oil. One of the things which is significant in this whole story, happened a few days before the Chedesh case, the very end of Cheshvan. I think it was Chavzayin Cheshvan, And that was the retrieval and the arrival of the Rebbe's Library, the manuscripts. This actually was the first time that Eba physically left seven seventy. He went to the library. What happened was this, when the previous Zebba came to the United States of America, he packed all of his belongings and Swodim and other valuable artifacts into twenty gigantic crates. I don't know exactly what their size was, but they were of considerable size, and sent them to New York ahead of himself to a as Hasidi in the United States of America. Uh, with the argument that they belonged to Agudas Chasidei Chabad, the, the global, the the international Agudas Chasidei Chabad, the Rebbe, where he was in Poland, under the conditions of war, couldn't hold the svarim, so he sent them on to America. Of those twenty crates, nineteen arrived. The tragedy was that the twentieth crate, which did not arrive, was the one that held not svarim but manuscripts, the Kloven. The vast majority of the manuscripts of Chasidus, or a significant percentage of the manuscripts of Chasidus, were in that. Crate, and they were lost which was a tragedy and over the course of the years it became apparent that it was still extant because merchants were coming to 770 selling to the Rebbe his own manuscripts eventually it was traced to the library in Warsaw where in fact the entire load of manuscripts or at least a great portion of it was discovered and people were dispatched in 1974 I believe they visited the library in Poland they examined the they found so much and it was actually microfilmed. It was copied, and from those copies, many volumes of chassidus were published. A few years later, the Polish government released the originals. They were brought to New York a few days before the Eschede, which is the end of 1977. Officially, it was a 99-year loan, and the, uh, I guess, it's the International Friends of Lubavitch had to thank the Polish government and several large American newspapers for their kindness. And they never went to examine the manuscripts. Now, I wasn't there. I've heard people who were there describe the delight of the Rebbe. The Rebbe's whole world is books. Especially Hasidus. The Rebbe himself had done a lot of work on the manuscripts during the Polish years. He spent many, many hours in the library um, uh, indexing and annotating a lot of these manuscripts. And in many books, you could see the Rebbe's own handwriting. And the Rebbe, from what I heard, stood for hours, delighting over this incredible rediscovery, as it were, and people say that if Pashat gave him health, Mamish made him feel good. Because this was so important to him. It was announced that the Rebbe was going home. Because for five weeks, the Rebbe had been sleeping in his room. And, uh, and the Rebbe went home. And of course, Hasidim heard ahead of time that the Rebbe was going home. And this started a spontaneous celebration. Which continued after the Rebbe left. It was a very happy celebration. A lot of mashke was spilled. They continued they continued the hakafas that had been interrupted, they danced with the Sefateda, they continued the Hakophis from Simchas, and it became it was a great joy. It was very spontaneous, very real, very genuine. And one of the stories that goes along with this that's so meaningful is that Ebertson, that ever's Ebiton, wife, who as we all know was so out of the limelight of Lubavitch, for whatever reasons, that Ebertson was in her home and did not participate in 770 at all, she didn't come to show. She didn't come to show it for Yisker, which is so interesting. Um, people have given various reasons as to why. But the fact of the matter was, she was not involved on the outside in Lubavitch, although behind the scenes, she was very involved. At Ebbets- and that Ebotson talked every day about what was going on. That Ebbetson was fully informed. We know so many episodes. But that Ebbetson never was able to witness up close and personal the affection that Hasidim had for that Eber. And that night she did. She stood by the window on the second floor and left after the Rebbe. The Rebbe went home, I guess with Rabbi Krinsky and the Rebbe since stood for hours and watched the Chassidim love the Rebbe, celebrate his health and uh, she commented that these, you know, she was so proud and she was so happy and as many have said this was a really an opportunity for her to see what it meant that the Chassidim literally loved her husband which was something that she hadn't witnessed before because she was simply not around Now, Rosh Chedesh became the day to celebrate the Rebbe's return to health because that's what Hasidim decided. The Rebbe went home that day and every year on that date, it's a great celebration. Um, That Hanukkah, I suppose it's two separate stories. One of the nights of Hanukkah, apparently the Rebbe decided to give Hanukkah geltz. And um, the Rebbe, I understand, stood by the door of 770, and he gave out dollars. Now the position of Hasidim, especially Hasidim who loved the Rebbe very much, was that it was very, very important for the Rebbe not to exert himself, not to push himself, not to overwork, and so forth. And in that spirit, they undertook to discourage Hasidim from taking things from the Rebbe, because every second of the Rebbe's time is precious, the Rebbe standing on his feet, exerting himself, and so forth. So when the Rebbe announces that he's giving Hanek Yelp, they were a group of Hasidim who were not going to stop the Rebbe, but they were determined to stop us. And they sort of discouraged, perhaps very, very emphatically and physically, Hasidim from taking dollars. And I heard from the David al Vashalom, myself, he said it in a speech, a public event, that he was there, and he was trying to discourage Hasidim from taking the dollars, based on the idea that he was worried about the Rebbe's health. And the Rebbe turned to him and looked at him, and said to him, how do you know what is the best for my health? Perhaps the best for my health is I have to give out these dollars. And uh, he said that when the Rebbe told this to him, the Rebbe said it very passionately, he went and he took a dollar and he didn't interrupt. The Rebbe wanted to give. And the Rebbe in effect said that his life depends on his ability to give Hasidim. Just like Hasidim lived by taking from the Rebbe, the Rebbe lives by giving to Hasidim. If he wanted to use uh, alternative language, more classic Hasidic language, you would employ the word hiskashos. Hiskashos is a bond between Hasidim and a rebbe. It's a very real thing. It's a very deep thing. But it's a dual hiskashos, as there is a bond between Hasidim and a rebbe. There is a bond between a rebbe and Hasidim, and part of that bond is what the rebbe gives. A rebbe lives by what he's given. Hasidim, you know, the rebbe was visited by a group of Hasidim of the Kloisenberger Rebbe, and he was very ill at the time, and the Rebbe asked the Kleisenberger Chassidim whether the Kleisenberger Rebbe is saying Torah. So they tried to explain to the Rebbe that he was physically in no position to say Torah, and the Rebbe said to them, Chassidim dafen monen, Chassidim have to demand, because this is the life of the Rebbe, his connection to his Chassidim, and if you insist, I suppose the Rebbe has no choice but to give. And the Rebbe very emotionally stated, don't worry about my health. My health depends upon my connection to Chassidim. Um, the Rebbe spoke a siege several years later, I believe in 1980, I'm not sure precisely when, in that sikh, the Rebbe objected, and complained, and criticized, uh, the fact, that there was a tenuah, there was a movement in Lubavitch, to discourage Hasidim, from taking advantage of the Rebbe, whether it was, not going to Keish or not, uh, taking Lekach, or Matzer, or even, abbreviating our correspondence, writing to the letter less, less, writing less information to the Rebbe, and so forth. And the Rebbe used very powerful expressions, including shaitim, fools, idiots, who feel that it's the best interest of the Rebbe that the Rebbe not be allowed to shepherd his flock. And I heard, I forgot from whom, and I hope it's true, because it's a pretty powerful statement, that the Rebbe said to Zalman Allah Vashola, quote, if you want me to live, show that you need me. In other words, the Rebbe's mitzvah is his connection to Hasidim. If you want me to live, show that you need me. The Rebbe needs to give. And that's his life. Just like Hasidim needs to receive. And I must be honest. I don't must be honest, but I guess I choose to be honest. I grew up during the 80s, during that decade, the Mems. And we were constantly discouraged from, quote, from wasting the Rebbe's time. And in hindsight, it's my single greatest regret. Literally. I had friends who corresponded with the Rebbe candidly and some of them were far from grace of Hasidim, and their level of communication was very compromised. But they wrote from the heart, they wrote the truth, they wrote where they were and they immediately saw from the Rebbe's end a reciprocity that it was giving back. Because that's what a Rebbe is. He gives. He just wants us to be genuine. and um, you, you can't do, th- do things over again but we were Bachrim. We didn't take advantage of the Rebbe. We didn't write to the Rebbe honestly, at least I didn't, and allow the Rebbe to Rebbe me. And what I want to say is that it's not too late. It's so many years after Gimel Tamas, but when we go to the Oihel or to the Rebbe's room, whatever it is, that, so to speak, works for us, the idea that we can take advantage of the Rebbe is true. And we're not going to hurt his health. That's certainly not the case, unfortunately, but that's the fact. And... We must understand that a rebbe wants to give, and we should give him the opportunity to give by by, by sharing ourselves with him. And I want to tell you a story in, in this vein. The following story is not at all connected to Resh Chedesh Kislev, um, but it's a true story, and it taught me something. It really did. It it, it, it changed how I go to the oihel and how I ride to the rebbe because it reveals something very, very important for Hasidim to know. And I want to share this with you in light of because I think it's important to appreciate that we're not celebrating a holiday that was. We're celebrating the Rebbe. We're celebrating the Rebbe today. Today means Tavshanayim Gimel, 2012. And that celebration is so much about our connection to him and his connection to us, notwithstanding the Alametz Vestadim and the changes that have taken place. But there's something real that I think we can learn from it. So... Permit me to tell you this story. I heard this story from somebody who heard directly from the Bala Myself, from the source of the story. It was a boy who lived in Cleveland who was learning in New York, Tere Vidas. And on one of his trips home, he was in a motorcycle accident. And his body was mauled, severely uh, compromised, mutilated naturally, he was taken into the hospital. They did emergency procedures, triage to, to deal with the immediate dangers. And then, of course, it became a question of, of, of fixing him, of operating upon this boy and healing him. The problem was there was a lot of internal injuries and there was a, a, a fog. This story happened in the late 60s, 1967 or 68, something to that effect, about what his actual condition was. And it created a problem. You needed a doctor to come and examine him and to... Ascertain to determine the degrees, the measure of his injuries and to prepare a protocol for his healing. And doctors came, surgeons came, and they said they can't figure out what's wrong with him and they refused to operate. And in the meantime, he was making himself comfortable, as it were, in the intensive care unit in the hospital. Eventually, a doctor came, a surgeon who had the confidence to operate. And he told him that he's going to do an initial surgery where he's going to simply explore the degree of his internal injuries, and then he would plan a, a real operation where they would do what they needed to do to help him heal. So the boy was stuck in the hospital for a time. During that time, at Everton sein, Mrs. Kazin, Everton Kazin visited. She would visit every Jewish patient in every hospital in Cleveland every Friday and bring them a challah. That's how I heard the story. And she brought this boy a challah. She walks into his room. She's a young boy, a yeshiva bacher. What are you doing in the hospital? So he says he was in a car accident. And he, she says to him, well, when you have such an experience, you write a letter to the Rebbe. And the boy said to Mrs. Kazin, who's the Rebbe? So she explained to him what the Rebbe is. And if you've ever had the good fortune to meet Mrs. Kazin, you know that she's very capable of explaining very well what the Rebbe is. And this boy got... Rebbe 101. You understand? He got a, a, a very, very clear and direct sense of what the Rebbe means and he took it very simply and very sincerely. This was a boy who didn't, not only didn't know what the Baruch Rebbe was, he had no idea what Hasidus and what the Rebbe meant altogether. But when she explained to him about the Rebbe and writing to the Rebbe, he took it very simply and unfortunately he had no shortage of time. He sat on his bed And copied his entire folder. You know, today everything's on the computer. In those days, it was on a folder. His folder was many, many pages. He spent hours and hours and hours and hours, and he copied every line of every detail of his treatment that he's experienced since he entered into the hospital. In any event, when he was finished, he had a whole stack of papers. His father visited him, and he said to his father, "I need you to do me a favor. What's the favor? Mail this to the Labavitcher Rebbe." And the father says, "This." Why are you mailed about your medical folder? So he says, well, this woman came in and she said to me that as the expression is, yes, Rebbe be stroll, there's a Rebbe at Sadiq in New York who feels all the yidn's pain and he can daven on their behalf and he can do great, wonderful things, pray the Yeshua's. And his father was beside himself. He says to this young boy, he says, Hezekiah, you don't understand, but I'm older than you. I understand how Rebbes operate. Rebbes are tzaddikim, holy men. They pray. Sometimes their prayers work. Sometimes their prayers don't work. But the rabbis don't understand medicine. They're not doctors. They totally don't understand this kind of information. It's useless to him. And he refused. The father refused to send the letter. The son pleaded with him. The father refused. So finally they reached a compromise. He sent the rabbis one page, just the cover of his folder, which was a summary, with a letter and a request for a brach. In the meantime, doctors are coming, doctors are going. The surgeon finally came and said he was going to do an exploratory surgery and plan an actual surgery. On the morning... But several days, I'm sorry, before the surgery was scheduled, a letter arrived in the mail to the hospital addressed to this boy from the Rebbe. It was a standard letter, what they call Micht of prati, where the Rebbe wrote the same letter to many people. And um, it was connected to the time of year. I believe it was after Pesach. And the Rebbe had signed it. After the Rebbe's signature was a postscript, a PS in the Rebbe's handwriting, several pages in English, with instructions about how to operate. In English, how to operate. Detailed instructions about how to operate on this boy. Medical, medicalese, it's another language. How to operate on this boy. This boy receives the letter in his hospital bed. And obviously he didn't understand what all this meant. But it was clear to him that the Rebbe was giving instructions to a doctor. So on the morning of the surgery, the doctor enters into his room. And as everybody knows, before surgery, doctors are incredibly nice to the people they Intent on operating upon, and as the cynical joke goes, because they're not sure if it's a hello or it's a goodbye. And he says to the doctor, Take a look at this. The doctor looks at it and he turns to this boy and says, You got a second opinion? You consulted another surgeon? I don't understand. He says, There's not a surgeon in all of Cleveland that wants to touch you. I'm taking the risk of operating upon you. And the surgeon is writing a report that didn't even examine you. And he was so upset, the surgeon was so upset. He storms out of his room and says, I'm not operating. He was so hurt, insulted by this effort at getting, I mean, no operation. (laughs) A couple of days later, he marches back in, holding the Rebbe's letter and said, I don't know who this doctor is, but if we will follow his protocol, you'll actually be better off than if we had followed mine. And he operates and the boy is, his plumbing is repaired and he, over the course of many, many months, he convalesces and he does therapy and he recovers, becomes healthy. A remarkable story, an absolutely remarkable story. The Rebbe sits in New York and writes how to operate on a boy he's never examined. Six or seven months later, the boy is back to his old self. He goes back to New York, to Yeshiva and to Erevedas. It's Elul now. It's 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 before Rosh Hashanah. And he thinks to himself, quite correctly, that he owes the Lubavitcher Rebbe a visit and a thank you. So he makes his way to 770 and he comes into 770. He has no idea about 770 protocol or how you behave. And he walks into the Rebbe's secretary and says, I want to see the Lubavitcher Rebbe Now. And of course, the secretaries immediately laugh and they say, first of all, you can't see the L'Avachar Rebbe now. He's making an appointment. Second of all, the Rebbe doesn't see people by day. He sees people only in the evening. Third of all, in the month of Elul, the Rebbe doesn't see anybody. So he explains to the secretary that he's special. And the secretary explains to him that everybody's special. He says, no, no, I'm really special. And he tells him, that this was what happened to him, that he was laying in a hospital bed in Cleveland, he wrote the Rebbe a letter, and the Rebbe sent back medical instructions of how he should be operated upon. So the secretary was moved by this, and he went into the Rebbe in the afternoon, came out of the Rebbe's room and said, the Rebbe will see you immediately. And he went into the Rebbe's room and spent some time with the Rebbe. And this started a relationship, a friendship, which lasted all the years. This man was not the Lubavitcher. In fact, I don't think he was fond of all the Lubavitcher He knew, but he had an incredible love and closeness to the Rebbe. He corresponded with the Rebbe. The Rebbe corresponded with him. but he would visit New York, he would see the Rebbe. And the Rebbe wanted to know what was going on in his life, and so on and so forth. A very special, almost friendship. But during this initial yachidus, he obviously said thank you. And the Rebbe was very happy that he came to thank, to acknowledge. And amongst the various things that was discussed in that initial yachidus, this boy said to the Rebbe, I need to ask you the following question. And the question was this, he says, in effect, you did not examine me. And yet you were able to write a protocol for an operation on a patient you hadn't examined. This protocol came from which half? From the holy Rebbe or the scientific Rebbe? Did this come from the holy man, that Rebbe, who has divine vision and sees what's going on? Or did this come from the fact that the Rebbe is, such an, is so knowledgeable in matters of medicine and was able to write such a protocol? And the Rebbe's response to him was, I'm not going to answer that question. But I'll tell you the following. Quote, When I received your letter, the Rebbe said to him, I resolved, I decided, I will heal you like a bone of my own, and the flesh of my own body. That ever said, I decided I'm going to fix you like your piece of me. This is the story. There's many more details to the story, but this is the story. Now what does the story mean? It's a beautiful story. It's a story of Ruch HaKodesh. It's a story of Abbas soul. It's a story of a miracle. It's, it's, it's a wonderful story. But I think there's another message in the story. And it's this message that I want to share as we celebrate Yislam. And that message is, the Rebbe said, when I received your letter, what did he mean? So my suggestion is, of course I don't know, but I suspect, that the Rebbe was not referring to the letter he actually sent. The Rebbe was referring to the letter that his father would not mail, 50 pages of medical detail. Here was a boy who had never heard of the Rebbe, never heard of Lubavitch, never had an understanding of what Hasidim were altogether, who was met by a strange woman, never met her before. And she tells him, there's a Rebbe, at tzaddik, and he has connections to the evishtir. and when he davas, God listens, and you have to write him a letter, and the Rebbe should help him, and he'll davas, on your behalf, I shall make a nest, and he And he took it, exactly the way it was said, with such simple faith. And, he translated that faith, into an action, which really doesn't make any sense, to send the Rebbe a report, of his medical condition, down to the minutia, very technical, and the Rebbe is not examining him, the Rebbe is not a doctor, he never met the Rebbe, has no idea who the Rebbe is, and doesn't understand how the Rebbe operates, etc., etc., etc. So the, the story, behind the story, is faith. When the Rebbe says to him, I received your letter, if I'm not wrong, perhaps it means, when I received that chunk of emunah, that simple ability, to recognize without having to understand that there's such a thing as a tzaddik that has special and to trust that emunah created a vessel for an incredible mess. I decided to heal you with the bone of my bones and the flesh of my body. That means you opened up a channel through your emunah to allow for such a miracle to happen. Now you don't have to agree with my interpretation but this is my interpretation. And I want you to know what I took from this. I took from this when we write to the Rebbe, we go to the Oyel. We should write everything. Write a phone book. You know, we, we've been so conditioned to measure our words, when we write to the Rebbe. And we're supposed to measure our words. But if there's anything we can learn from this story is, as I explained to you before, the Rebbe wants to Debbe us. The Rebbe wants to shepherd us. Unfortunately, there's a Helen Behested. It's after Gimel Thomas. Those are challenges. But the reality remains that we, we call ourselves Hasidim. We're only Hasidim because we have a Rebbe. We have a connection to that Rebbe. We must allow him to Rebbe us. How do we allow him to Rebbe us? Not just writing our name in our mother's name and visiting the ayahu know, as a formality. But write as you would write. You know, Rav Ram Parij used to tell his children, write to the Rebbe like you write to your father. Write everything. right honestly. And you give the Rebbe opportunity to give us brachas. You give the Rebbe opportunity to give us counsel, aces. The Rebbe has to find ways, interesting ways to answer our questions. But I think it's important for us to learn from this story, this idea. Just like we want to connect to the Rebbe, the Rebbe wants to connect to us. And when we give him that opportunity by writing the little details of our lives, we will see from his end the koiches that he provides, the possibility that he gives to reciprocate based on on the measure of detail, measure of involvement, that we allow the Rebbe into our lives. I think it's a real message, and I think it's an appropriate message for Rish Chedesh Kislev. It's, it's, obviously, it's connecting one thing to another, but the essence of the message is, a Rebbe lives because he has chasidim. The more he can give, the bigger a Rebbe he is. It's ironic, but true. Um, and this is true today. It's true in Tafshin and Gimel, as it was true in Tafshin Lamet which is 35 years ago. Now, I told you that the Rebbe gave Hanukkah, and Hanukkah. In addition, the Rebbe made a Fabrenge. The last day of Hanukkah, the Rebbe called Rabbi J.J. Hecht, and said to him, and he left. I'm looking for a man who knows how to get things done, and knows how to keep a secret. And he left. Rabbi Hecht certainly knew how to get things done, but Rabbi Hecht was not Mr. Secret. And the Rebbe tells me he wants to make a Fabrenge, and he wants to wash, and bench, and give Keish Shalbrach. Because on last day of Sukkis, that opportunity was taken from him because of his health. Now it's two months on, the Rebbe wants to wash, bench, and give, and give wine, and so forth. But he wanted that Rabbi Hecht to keep it a secret. Javi Hecht said to the, and he told him why, because if the secretaries find out, they're going to call every doctor in New York, they're going to put pressure on the Rebbe, the Rebbe is not to allow it to happen because they're worried about his health, and the Rebbe wanted to do this. Javi Hecht says to the Rebbe, can I tell, can I tell the Barchim? So the Hecht, last is telling the Barchim, is announcing it, all the way till Australia. And by the way, somehow the Bacharim knew about it and they were in 770. So he asked the Rebbe if he can tell his brother. And I understand that Rebbe gave him permission. It was supposed to be top secret. Bottom line is, before the Fabringen. many Hasidim knew the Fabrengen was happening. I think the last people to find out about the Fabringen were the Rebbe's own secretaries. And he went and he got mashkeh, vodka and wine for the Keresh HaBrochah. One of the peers that he went to to solicit the mashkeh from, his wife was ill. And he told Rabbi Hecht that my wife's illness is a personal matter. The Rebbe's illness is a matter for the whole Jewish people. It's much more important that the Rebbe be healthy than my wife. When Rabbi Hecht brought the Rebbe to Mashke, and by the way, the Rebbe insisted on paying for it, um, he repeated to the Rebbe what the man said. And the Rebbe said, The that has enough health, enough gesund for me and for his wife. And she too had the Rebbe for And the Rebbe made the sabrengen. He washed, he bent, he gave Keshach and he was able to finish off um, Tishrei, the, things that he, the debts he started to speak felt that he needed to pay. And I want to finish with this. The Rebbe wrote a letter which has been printed and disseminated shortly after his heart attack, in the early winter, Cheshvan, I think, where he says, in response to your question, inquiring about my health, my health has much improved, the letter was written in Hebrew of course, and the Rebbe writes, in the Zechus, of the Tfilas, of the thousands of Yidin, God Almighty has given me a full and able to return to my full strength and do what I needed to do. This is what the Rebbe wrote, in the s'chus of the Tfilas. When the Rebbe had his heart attack then, the Jewish world was shaken up. And all kinds of Jews, by no means Labavichir, davened for the Rebbe. The Rebbe was living in Los Angeles at the time. of Weiss, was here and he got through a goy a message to the Rebbe, the said, "Rebbe took to to off his big day yamtif. He took off his raimul and his He put on weekday clothes and he said, Tillim. He cried and he said, Tilim, he said, Al is not told we have to daven for him. And he didn't finish HaKafas, till the day after Sim when he got worried that the Rebbe was feeling better. He took off his weekday clothes, he put on the clothes and he, he went to Hakafis. This is a true it's a real story. He interrupted his Yamtif and davened for Lubavitchi Rebbe And all kinds of Jews, davin for the Rebbe and it's it shows several things. Of course, it shows the love that Kalla Yisrael felt towards the Rebbe, the need for the Rebbe, and it also shows the power of prayer. The Rebbe said that what gave Mizravu a wa was the tefillas of thousands of Yidden. And I'll tell you an interesting story. There was a group. There was an effort made after the Rebbe's heart attack that, in order to, so to speak, boost the Rebbe, build the Rebbe's spirit, they should get Gedali Yisrael to write letters of support supporting the Rebbe. There's a famous letter from Rebbe Moshe Feinstein, a beautiful letter from the Moshe, which begins, shlita, which means, in regard to my friend, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he writes this warm letter supporting the Rebbe's efforts, the Mifzoyim and so forth. Rebbe Moshe Feinstein was an unbelievably humble man, an unbelievably humble man. And he in fact was a friend of the Rebbe's and a great supporter of the Rebbe's. And he wrote this very, very positive, it's a beautiful letter, it's a very encouraging letter. So, somebody told me that they went, they approached Yankov Kamenetsky, who was Rashiv of Terevadas and a great gore, and that he should write such a letter. And he said he can't write such a letter because he doesn't agree with Terev. He has his own opinions. He says, But I want you to know that every day when I say Shmak Elenu, I say Menachem Mendel, Ben for This was not a chazit, maybe even a Mesnagin. But he understood. And um, it shows on Achdus Yisrael, It shows the power of prayer. And I think all of these are lessons that we could learn and take from this day. This class is brought to you by theyeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net.